please turn in your Bible with me over to 1 Thessalonians today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Today I've entitled this, The Darkness That Is Coming. The Darkness That Is Coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now it is very important to remember in Scripture that there are no chapter divisions actually in the text, okay? So when you read, like you read Thessalonians, Thessalonians, it was a letter. The word epistle, okay? The word epistle means a letter. An epistle is not like a wife of an apostle, okay? <laughs> it's a letter. That's all the word epistle means. And so when you think of First Thessalonians, and really all of Paul's letters, that's exactly what they were. The epistles of Paul or James and so forth, they're letters. And so there are no chapter divisions. What that means is that the thought continues or transitions into something related to that thought. So I want you to keep that in mind. But I want to begin today with a simple statement. As we move into chapter 5, we see that the day of the Lord comes after the rapture. Now, if you're really tired today and you're going to fall asleep, I got that in at the front. (laughs) Because that is the main point. The only greater point than that today is that you need Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you need to trust in Him to get you to heaven because He is, in fact, the only one who can get you to heaven. Your good works cannot save you. But the day of the Lord comes after the rapture. Now, we see this both chronologically in what is written in 1 Thessalonians and also logically what is written in 1 Thessalonians. Sad to say today, uh, some... I got an email, uh, actually our our son-in-law, Pastor Brian, uh, emailed me this week and he's saying, what is the stuff we're starting? It seems like there's a, uh, they're independent Baptists, like there's a growing thing with independent Baptists on on starting to not believe in a pre-trib rapture anymore, that they're going mid-trib or post-trib. And and, uh, are you, you know, have you seen that trend? There is a trend. There is a trend, unfortunately. Okay, people like uh, a very uh, unusual gentleman out in Arizona. I won't say his name because I don't want to give him credibility, but uh, he has a, uh, a very unique ministry and he's got a kind of a magnetic, dynamic personality, very confident gentleman. And uh, he's teaching that, that the church is going through the tribulation, at least part of it. I'm not sure what his whole thing is, but he doesn't believe anymore, he used to, doesn't believe anymore in a pre tribulational rapture of the church. All right? Let me say very clearly, if you're wondering where we come down on this, we come down on what the Bible says. The church is going out before the tribulation. All right? You might say, are you certain of that? I am certain of that. As a matter of fact, we are so certain of that in our church, as much as you can be certain. We are certain of that in our church, and that's actually part, a requirement, of what you have to believe if you're going to be a member of this church. Because if you don't believe that the rapture takes place before the tribulation, it will affect a lot of your other theology. A lot of people don't go there, but they need to go there and they need to understand that. It affects a lot of what you believe about other things. 
And so we've covered this many times before, but our passage, of course, is going right through that territory. So that's where we're going today. Remember again, no chapter divisions in the Bible. Now, with that in mind, last week we talked about the rapture of the church. What is the rapture? It is the event of the catching away of the church. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Jesus is going to come And he's going to come, he's going to descend. Let's look at it in verse 16. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay, so those who have died and gone on to be with the Lord, their bodies, of course, have stayed here. When Jesus comes back, they are coming back with him. And then there's going to be a shout. Their bodies will be changed into a spiritual body. It will be resurrected. And as it goes up, those of us who are alive when the rapture takes place are going up with them to meet the Lord. You notice what it says in verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord where? In the air, not on earth. In the air. This is separate from the second coming to earth, which takes place at the end of the tribulation period. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Now verse 18, many times we just kind of pass that over, but it's an important verse, and you're going to see how important it is here today. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort. You should find, we as believers should find comfort in the fact that the rapture is going to take place. All right? Now, remember what I said about the chronology of this and the logic of this. The first point I want to start with today is this. The Lord will take his church out of the world before the tribulation begins. Now, I know I've already mentioned it, but it needs to be a clear statement. Notice as we get into chapter five, remember no chapter divisions. Notice as we get into chapter five, chapter five begins with the word but, okay? Don't any of you laugh at that. It begins with the word but. Why does it begin with the word but? This is a new subject, but it is also a word of contrast. In other words, we've talked about the rapture. Now, in contrast to us being caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, there's something of contrast that now I want to talk to you about. That's what Paul's getting at. So chapter five begins with the word but. This is a new subject, but it's also a word of contract. And what comes next is a contrast to what the Lord has promised the church. You notice what's gonna be coming. Darkness, suffering, and misery are coming. Now, how do you reconcile that with wherefore comfort one another with these words? No, you're talking about two different things here. If the church is the bride of Christ, and it is, then how would this be, you know, if the church is the bride of Christ, that means Christ is the bridegroom. Well, what would you think of a bridegroom who gets married to his wife and then beats her up? That just doesn't jive, folks. It doesn't work that way, especially the one who created marriage, who taught us about what it means to love. He would cherish his wife. He would care for his wife. He wouldn't say, great, now that we're hitched up, now that we're married, let me beat you up. But see, if you believe that when Jesus comes back and takes the church, gets reunited with the church, so to speak, face to face, then what you're saying, if you believe in a 
mid-trib or post-trib rapture, what you're saying is that to some extent, Jesus takes his bride and then beats her up for a period of time before he finally delivers her. That doesn't jive with scripture. That's not the picture that we see. If the church is the bride, that's no way for the groom to treat his bride. Now, I know people will say, well, we can take comfort in the words here because the church only goes through half of the tribulation. Let me tell you, now I know, I'll just give you my my perspective on this, okay? I know there are some people who say, well, the first half of the tribulation is peaceful. I don't believe it is. I I do not believe it is. If you read Revelation chapter 6, if you read Matthew chapter 24, number one, let me say this, the tribulation begins in chaos because the church is taken out. And the effect on society when the church is taken out of the world is going to be profound. Friends, can I just mention very, very quickly, can I just mention this? There are people in high positions all over the world who are going to go missing. There are families that are going to be broken up. There are babies that will be disappeared. There are drivers in cars that will disappear and those cars will get in crashes. There are jets that will have no pilots and those planes will go down think about the the economic impact of the rapture all the people who have mortgages and all those people all of a sudden they are gone and no one's paying those mortgages think of what it's going to do to the finances of the world in which we live unexplained thing teachers gone presidents of corporations gone athletes gone okay you name it medical professionals people in the middle of operations having somebody open maybe an open heart surgery and all of a sudden that surgeon is gone just gone okay just a blink faster than a blink of an eye they're gone people all over the planet gone i believe millions of people gone okay how are you going to explain a church like ours which i believe the vast majority of our people in our church are saved those who, who are, are members, members, I believe you're saying, okay, how are you going to explain that? What, let's say the rapture took place on a Sunday morning here in church, and here we are, and all of a sudden, all the Bibles and everything fall to the floor, and there's no one here except those who hadn't trusted Christ as Savior yet. How are you going to explain that? Folks, that's going to happen in many churches, not only in America, but all over the world. How are you going to explain it? Where did they all go? Now, there's going to be a a time of chaos in the world when the rapture takes place. I believe that with all my heart. I don't think there's any question about that. So it's going to, the tribulation is going to begin with chaos. And then there's going to be, you know, how are you going to bring peace out of this chaos? Well, of course, then the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And then what are you going to do with the financial system that has taken such an incredible hit? Well, then you're going to have to have a one world currency. And I mean, it goes on and on and on. And then there's all kinds of issues that are going to take place according to the gospels and according to the book of Revelation. So I don't think the first half is peaceful. Compared to the second half, maybe, but it's not, the first half's not going to be peaceful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, it says this, but, there you go, right after he says, wherefore comfort one another with these words, that you, those of us who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord near, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words, but of the times and seasons, brethren, Ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief 
in the night. Now that word but at the beginning of chapter five, verse one, that appears three times in this passage. It appears in verse one, verse four, and verse eight. And it follows the promise and the comfort of the rapture. But, why the but? It's in contrast to the promise of the rapture. The believer is to be looking for Christ to come back at the rapture. The rapture, as we saw last week, very clearly, it is considered in scriptures an imminent event. Now get this, get this. Imminent means it could take place at any moment. If the rapture is not a pre-trib rapture, then there are events, let's say it's mid-trib. If you believe the rapture is not going to take place until halfway through the tribulation, then what you're telling me is there are things that have to take place before the rapture can take place. Do you get that? If that's true, then the rapture is not an imminent event. You can wait until those things take place, and then you say, oh, it's coming soon, it's coming soon. How do you know? Well, all these things have taken place. And it's going to take place halfway through. No, friend. The only way the rapture can be an imminent event is that nothing has to take place. If nothing has to take place, that means it's pre-trib because there are signs of the tribulation. Otherwise, that would have to take place before the rapture takes place. I hope you understand what I'm saying on that. The believer is to be looking for Christ to come back at the rapture. There is nothing that needs to be fulfilled prophetically before the rapture takes place. Paul was looking for the rapture in his day, as was John, as was James, as was Peter and the others. They were looking for Jesus in their day. Secondly, the day of the Lord, it says, comes as a thief in the night. Okay, for who? For the world. It will come suddenly. Can you think of anything that would better describe the exit of believers out of the world at the rapture and then the darkness that comes in as a flood better than a thief in the night? I mean, all of a sudden there's this, wait a minute, something's happened. By the way, isn't it kind of an interesting thing, the idea of a thief? Okay. We as the church, before the tribulation begins, We as the church at the rapture are snatched away. We're snatched away. We're seized, we're caught. We're taken by force. See, the day of the Lord begins right after the rapture and it includes the seven-year tribulation period through the millennium. Now listen carefully to this. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the day of the Lord and some people say, well, the Bible contradicts itself. No, the day of the Lord is a collective teaching in scripture. It's collective. It's the only way you'll understand it. You might say, well, what does it refer to? Does it refer to the rapture? Not directly the rapture, but the rapture takes place and then the day of the Lord comes. So in a sense it does, but in another sense it doesn't. Does the day of the Lord refer to the tribulation? Yes. Does the day of the Lord refer to the millennium? Yes. Wait a minute. I thought if it refers to the tribulation, how can it refer to the millennium? Because the day of the Lord is not one day. The day of the Lord is an extended period of time. When the scripture says day of the Lord, it can refer to anything within that time span from the rapture to the end of the kingdom age. Let me show it to you. Look up here. We've got a chart for you. Hopefully I can point this out on our chart. This is where we're living today. It's the church age, all right? And I think we're right close over here. The church age, approximately 2,000 years. We don't know exactly how long the church age is going to 
be going on, but the church age will end with the rapture of the church. That's what we just saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the rapture of the church. After the rapture of the church, seven-year tribulation period on earth will begin, the day of the Lord. Now, the verses that we're going to see here in 1 Thessalonians 5 refer to that seven-year period of time might say it doesn't refer to all of it. No, it, well, let me put it this way. It's focused on that seven-year period of time. That seven-year period of time is going to culminate. It's going to end with the second coming of Christ to earth. So you notice here, we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But at the second coming, we come all the way back to earth with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the thousand-year kingdom age. The, the day of the Lord is from here all the way to there. So it's basically, it's about a thousand seven years long, right? Now, back to 1 Thessalonians, well, wait a minute, let me show you, let me show you something. 2 Peter chapter 3. Now in 2 Peter chapter 3, it refers to the day of the Lord, and it's talking about the end of the day of the Lord. Some people look at 2 Peter 3 and they say, oh, that's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. No, it's not. If you compare scripture with scripture, what 2 Peter talks about in reference to the day of the Lord has to do with what's going to take place at the end of the kingdom age. You might say, well, well that's a contradiction. No, it's not a contradiction. It's a, it's a collective teaching. It's a collective teaching. Remember, the day of the Lord covers from the rapture, right after the rapture, through this period of time. So look what Peter says, 2 Peter 3.10. It says, but the day of the Lord, there it is again, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Okay, shall be burned up. Now, if the earth is burned up, then there's really not a, a lot of living left on it, is there? I mean, when you think of something being burned up, actually, the scriptures tell us that we look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness, okay? Peter is talking about at the end of the, this is when everything is going to get burned up. If you read Revelation chapter 20, you'll see another section of scripture having to do with the exact same thing. Okay, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we see this, but of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Why does it come as a thief in the night? Well, because when the rapture takes place, that's all of a sudden, okay? It's unannounced. There are no signs for it. Verse 3 now watch. Remember, he, he ended the end of chapter 4, wherefore comfort one another with these words. And then it says, but, verse 1, but of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I run into you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Verse 3, for when they, watch the language, for when they shall say, who's the they? It's not the believers. It's the people who are left. For when they, remember, started with but. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. 
as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But wait a minute. The rapture is the great escape. They shall not escape. Who's the they? It's the people going through the tribulation period. They will not escape experiencing the judgments that are coming during that seven-year period of time. They shall not escape. Notice the contrast here between those in the church and those in the world. At the end of chapter 4, comfort one another with these words. Here we see sudden destruction comes on them. Who's the them? It can't be us. We're gone. It's the them that are left. Those who are left on earth after the rapture. These are the unbelievers. They will not escape. But we have escaped. When? Chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, we've escaped. So we are gone. And so the ones who are left, now let me, let me just throw this in because I know people will say, well, what about people who, are, who go through the tribulation? Can they be saved? Yes, they can be saved. People can be saved during the tribulation period. I think it will be more difficult then to put their faith in Christ as time goes on because the darkness will be greater, the deception will be greater, but they can be saved. The Bible tells us multitudes will be saved during the tribulation period. As a matter of fact, let me just throw this in as a little bonus today, all right? People say, well, how is the, if the church is gone during the tribulation period, then how is the gospel going to be preached during that period of time? Good question. I can tell you one group that will start things off. We find them in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation 14, the 144 Jewish witnesses. I believe these Jewish witnesses are Number one, they're not Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? It's not a cult. These are Jews, actual Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They are men who've never known a woman, according to Scripture. You might say, well, isn't that symbolic for something? No. Why can't we just believe what it says? These are Jewish men who had been witnessed to before the rapture took place, I believe. This is how I connect the dots. They were witness to, they did not trust Christ as their Messiah, their Savior. When the rapture takes place, they will put their faith in Christ, and they will be the evangelists to begin evangelizing the world during the tribulation period. Multitudes are going to come to know Christ by their faithful witness. And those who are one to Christ by them, then they will start sharing the gospel. So that is how the gospel is going to be preached during the tribulation period. So we see, that's just a bonus today. So those, when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, they shall not escape. What? The sudden destruction. So what do we see? We see number three, the church is contrasted to those in the world because the church age is a parenthesis in God's dealings with Israel. God's dealings with Israel. We didn't plan on this, but can you bring the chart up again there, Carrie? Bring the chart up again. Let me show you this, folks, this issue of the, the parentheses. Now, you don't see the history of Israel back here, but this is God dealing with, uh, from, from the time of the call of Abraham, when the Jewish people were, came into existence, Abraham's the father of the Jews, goes through this period of time, okay? Jesus came, first coming of Christ, He lived his life. He died, was buried, rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven on the day of Pentecost is when the church age began. This church age is like a parenthesis in the plan of God. If you took this section out and you brought this and you bumped it up to this, 
you would see the continual history of God's dealing with the Jew. But what has he been doing? Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11, if you read them, God has this new group of people called the church made up of Jew and Gentile. That's the mystery. And over these last some 2,000 years, God has been dealing with this thing called the church made up of Jew and Gentile who put their faith in Christ. One body, both Jew and Gentile, but the church is going to be taken out. So it was focused on the Jews here. When the church is taken out, it'll start focusing on them again. All right? This was talked about in the Old Testament. Believe it or not, the cross, the death of Messiah was talked about in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, a lot of other places. And the day of the Lord is talked about in the Old Testament. Many many times. So this is how this goes together. So the church is contrasted to those in the world because the church age is a parenthesis, okay? We are excluded completely from what is going to come. You notice back in verse 3, it said sudden destruction. The word sudden means unexpected or unforeseen. In other words, the world didn't see it coming, what's going to come upon them. Let me tell you something, folks. If people knew and believe what the Bible says is going to take place in the future, in the seven-year tribulation period, they would be trusting Christ as Savior continually, continually. I mean, it would just the numbers would be going, brrr, if they could know, or if they knew or believed it. Let me put it that way. They can know. It's in the scripture. Peace and safety will be promised to man in the last days, and he will believe the lie. I believe that it is the Antichrist himself who is going to be the one who promises peace and safety to bring the world out of the chaos that takes place when the rapture takes place. Somebody's got to step up to the place and say, let's calm down. Let's figure out what we're going to do here to bring safety, to bring law and order to the world. And of course, the perfect dictator will step up to the plate. This will take place after the church is taken out, and this is indicative of the tribulation period. See, the world right now today as I speak is getting ready for the seven-year tribulation period. How do I know that? Israel is back in the land is one of the main reasons we know that. We know in the last days Israel has to be back in the land for the tribulation period to take place. May 14th, 1948, Israel was recognized as a nation once again. We see what's going on in Europe today and really all over the world, the global economy, the European community and, and all, the, all the different things going on. Cashless society. Remember, during the tribulation period, you won't be able to buy and sell unless you have the mark and the beast, either on your hand or in your forehead. Boy, I could, we could talk about this all day long, couldn't we? It's all going that way. You know, you've got, you've got, you can pay for things with your phone. You can pay for things with cards. You can pay for things, you know, you don't have to even carry cash nowadays. Everything, you can do it. It doesn't even, parking ramp, use a credit card for that. You don't need money to stick in the machine. Everything is just easy. People go in with their, with their iPhones, Apple Pay. You go someplace, you just go like this and there it is. Your watch, you've got an Apple Watch. Pay for things, I think you can pay for them. Can you pay for things with an Apple Watch? Yes, okay, I figured you could. Who needs cash? Now you've got all your um, assistants. You've got Alexa, you've got Google, you've got Siri. You don't even need, we were listening to a program in the, in the car yesterday, driving. You don't even need, uh, you know, everybody talks about them being smart homes. I don't know if that's very smart, 
where somebody's listening to you or can listen to you continually, and they can, might say, well, they're not doing it. That's just all hype and all that. Let me tell you something, friend. Let me tell you something. All somebody has to do is get in, change a few things, and it'll affect everything, and they're in. Listen, you're going you're gonna to just drive down the road and you're going to shout out loud in your car, hey, Alexa, open up my garage door. Well, let me ask you this. If that's the way into your house, what if somebody hacked that? You can't get into your house anymore. Hey, Alexa, I want to buy this. Or hey, Google, I want to buy this. Or hey, Siri, I want to buy this. I just don't want people listening to me in my house unless they're invited, right? Doesn't that just make sense? It just makes sense. You might say, well, it's coming. Well, you're right, it is coming. It is coming. It's coming more and more and more. Not only that, but you know, and we were talking about it. I said, I, I can't imagine. All day long, you're, you're in your... Now, listen, if you do this, fine. If you enjoy it, fine. You do what you want. You know, come to church. We're glad you're here. Do what you want on this. I'm just speaking for us. I don't want somebody listening to our conversations or what we're doing in our house. I don't want them doing that. Not only that, but I don't want all day long to be walking around my house saying, hey, Alexa, this. Hey, Alexa, that. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Alexa. Or hey, Google. Or hey, Siri. Imagine how obnoxious it would be if I all day long I'm saying, hey, Sue. Hey, Sue. Hey, Sue. (laughs) Not for me. Hold your place. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 30. The day of the Lord is coming. And the Bible says, as we've already covered, the focus is not on the church because the church is gone. By the way, I could give you so many reasons why pre-trib rapture is true. You do not, in the book of Revelation, you do not see the church after chapters 2 and 3. You do not see the church. Chapter 4 begins with, come up hither. All right, And then the church is not mentioned until after Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation. And then in the late chapters, the church is mentioned again. You might say, well, why isn't the church mentioned during the period of the tribulation? Because the church is in heaven, not on earth. Jeremiah 30 in verse 1, it says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. By the way, 600 B.C., this is written. Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their forefathers, and they shall possess it. And these are the words of the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. That's tribulation. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail? Do you remember 1 Thessalonians 5, 3? As travail upon a woman with child. Same idea. And all the face is turned into paleness. Verse 7, alas, for that day is great. What is it? It's the day of the Lord. So that none is like it. It is even the time of whose trouble? Jacob's trouble. Jacob's name was turned to Israel. It's the time of Israel's trouble, not the church. The church is not around during the seven-year period. Jacob's trouble. Okay, now back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here again we see, verse 3, it said, 
For when they shall say, then sudden destruction comes on them as travail upon a woman and child, and they shall not escape. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, but ye, brethren, do you see the contrast there to they, to them? But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that they should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. The tribulation period is a period of darkness. We are not of that. We're children of the day in contrast to the people of the world. That they shall not overtake you, take eagerly, seize, or possess is the idea. We're not of the night, we're of the day. Complete contrast between the church and the world. See, believers will not be left here when the rapture takes place. Believers will be in heaven. Now, I've heard people say this. Well, because people say, where did the 144,000 come from? They'll say, oh, they're part of the church. They get left here to evangelize. No, friends, that's not a rapture, that's a rupture. If you're part of the church, you go at the rapture. Everybody goes. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, not just some of us. They have to come to faith in Christ after the rapture takes place. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, for they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day, see, we're not of the night, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Okay? So let's be faithful while we still have time. We know the rapture could take place at any moment. We know the rapture is followed by the tribulation period. We're of the day, we're not going to be part of that, but while we still have time because we don't know when the rapture is going to take place, let's be faithful with the time we have left. And then we have this wonderful promise in verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. God has not appointed us to wrath. The wrath here, I believe in the context, is primarily the tribulation period. Verses two and three make that, I think, very clear. You might say, well, what, what, but it says, but to obtain salvation. Yes, and remember, the word salvation, as it is, means deliverance. That's what the word salvation means. And in the context, it is mainly deliverance from the coming tribulation period. Yes, we end up in heaven, but that is the ultimate result of the deliverance. The context The immediate context of the deliverance is referring to the tribulation period, the wrath that is coming then. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 10, it says, who died for us, referring to Jesus, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. All right, notice in verse 10, Well, verses 9 and 10. God has not appointed us to wrath, the day of wrath, tribulation, but to obtain deliverance, salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He's our Savior. He died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Leads us to our last point today, and it is this. This passage on either side of the subject of the day of the Lord gives us the admonition to comfort one another. I think what Paul is saying is this. The rapture is pre-tribulational. 
He gives us the teaching and the promise of the rapture. He says, comfort one another with these words. Then he tells us about the day of the Lord is coming. And he says, yeah, but God's not appointed you to wrath, but to obtain deliverance. Comfort yourselves with these words. Both sides of the tragedy of the day of the Lord, he says, you're going to be caught up. Comfort yourselves with this. And here, you're not appointed to wrath. Comfort yourself with that. Here's the point today. Two things, but the main one is this. Friend, if you're not sure where you're going when you die, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. The worst time that the world has ever known is coming very soon. When will it begin? We do not know. When the rapture takes place, we'll be immediately caught up together with those who have the bodies of those that have died and they're coming back with Jesus. We're going to be caught up to be with the Lord. We're going to meet him in the air. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ the Savior, I want to urge you to put your faith in Jesus Christ today. You cannot get to heaven any other way except through what Jesus did on the cross. You can't be saved another way. See, this is why Jesus came and died. People say, why, why did Jesus come? Or they'll say this, boy, you know, it was a, uh, a Jesus shouldn't have died. It was unfair. It was, he was mistreated and all these kind of things. Friend, the death of Jesus was not an accident. It is the whole purpose he came to earth. It's the whole reason he came. We are sinners. We can't save ourselves. It says in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth or displayed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word for is important because it means on behalf of, as our substitute. He died for us. He died in our place. You might say, why does he need to die for me? Because we're sinners. What does that mean? Well, let me explain this to you. Look up here. If this hand were to represent you and me, my wallet represents our sin. Here we are, we're all sinners. There's not a person in this room who's not a sinner. We're all sinners. Sin separates us from God. You cannot get to heaven with even one sin because heaven is a perfect place. To get there, you have to be sinless, perfect in the eyes of God, no sin. Yet we're sinners, therefore we're disqualified. Not only that, but God says, you've broken my word, you've sinned, you've violated my laws. You have to pay the price. And God says the wages of sin is death. If we die for our sin, we'll be lost forever in hell. God doesn't want that for any one of us. Religion comes along, says you get rid of it by good works. Yet the Bible says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, Titus 3, 5. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves, God knowing that, he promised All the way back in the Old Testament, he promised that he would send a redeemer, someone to buy us back to himself. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ, this hand representing him, the sinless son of God. And Jesus came into the world. He lived a perfect life. And when he went to the cross, he went there, old gospel song. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all my sin upon himself and he made the complete payment, leaving me nothing to pay for, nothing to pay for. He did it for you too. He's paid for all of your sin. He died and came back from the dead three days later. And the Bible says, if you will put your faith in him that he made that payment for you, he will give you 
the very moment you do that, everlasting life. It's a gift. That moment you're born into his family, you become an eternal child of God. How long is everlasting? It lasts forever. When you trust Christ, your sins are forgiven. He gives you his righteousness and he gives you everlasting life. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, would you trust in him today to get you to heaven? You can't earn it. Let me say this. The religion that will be here during the tribulation period will be a religion. I believe it'll be based in Rome. That'll be the headquarters of it. But it'll be a one world religion with this in common. Man has the ability in himself to be his own savior. You can earn your way some way. You know, the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man kind of idea. Just, just it was in the news just recently where the Pope of the Catholic Church was with one of the head imams of Islam and they were together and they were coming into agreement about the need to work together and, and so forth like this. You might say, what, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do they have in common? What do they have in common? Works for salvation. Works for salvation. Both of them believe the way you live your life has a bearing on whether you go to heaven or not. That you can earn it through good works. You talk to Catholics today. Now, I know there are people, you Catholics, you believe you can earn your work your way to heaven. Oh no, we believe it's by grace. Through faith. See, that's what they're told now to combat folks like you and me. It's a sad situation. Here's what they mean by that, okay? Being an ex-Catholic, I feel like I can address this. Here's what they mean. God pours out grace towards you. Grace is sort of like a spiritual multivitamin. He gives that, he pours that out to you so that you can take that now, and grace comes through the sacraments, by the way, you can take that and now you can live a faithful life and then make it to heaven. So God provides what you need to be faithful so that you can make it. That is the message of the Catholic Church today. That's what they mean by salvation by grace. It's not what the Bible means. The Bible means grace is unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. And God does all the work. That's the difference. All he asks us to do is believe. And when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, he gives you eternal life, and it's exactly that. Once you have it, you have it forever. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. I urge you to put your faith in Jesus Christ today as your Savior. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much and God bless you.